Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Pod. I'm Charlie, joined by Reed, and we have something a little happier to talk about this week. Um, Oregon demolishing Eastern Washington, 70-14. to 14. Uh, But first off, Reed, this entire Saturday was filled with a lot of good games across the country. Uh, how did you consume all this? Did you enjoy your day? Um, how was your weekend, basically? Yeah, yesterday was pretty much as soon as I got up until I went to bed full college football and it was good games throughout the whole day. Um, so that was pretty exciting for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy with the Oregon game, obviously. I mean, you know, we'll talk about it. Not necessarily, uh, a game you learn a ton from versus an FCS opponent, but safe to say it, it went, you know, well, uh, as well as those games can go pretty much. So, that was nice, and then a ton of other good games from the rest of the slate. How how about you? How was your Saturday? Well, it started off camping. I was on a camping trip, so I had to I had to catch a lot of the action on my phone on the way back. I was t- as I was telling you before the episode, uh, I missed the very end of the Bama Texas game because I I lost reception um, right as Bryce Young was scrambling out of bounds <laughs> to set up the game winning <laughs> field goal for the Tide. Uh, so that was pretty uh, frustrating. But uh, once I got home, I mean, it was amazing. Like you said, like, especially a lot of these Pac-12 games. Uh, Wazoo, big win over Wisconsin. Like, uh, the Beavers late into the night getting that win down at Fresno. That was a great game. Um, and then even those of us who were keeping an eye out on BYU um, also got an entertaining one till the end. So, um, yeah, man, just another classic weekend of college football. Uh, it's it's funny we talk about this all the time but whenever um, the national media kind of bills it as like a down week um, it just becomes an upset week instead um, or at least upset threatening week so um, also shout out to the Sun Belt getting a few big wins against uh, top 10 opponents on the road <laughs> as well so those were pretty fun to watch but uh, we can get to some of that stuff later we're here to talk about the Ducks of course um 70 points the most Oregon has put up in quite some time i don't have the number right in front of me but um Oregon scores a touchdown on its first nine possessions which is pretty damn good um end up getting 10 total obviously to get that 70 number uh bonix has a huge game pretty much everyone on the team has like a good game um what were your first impressions of this uh and how did you feel about it I think the biggest thing was it confirmed my confidence about the offense. Um, Like we said, going out of the Georgia game, we both felt like this offense played pretty well on a snap-to-snap basis and wasn't able to convert when it got into the red zone. Uh, And, you know, on this play, it was in this game, it was able to do those things um, in pretty much every drive that mattered. So that made me feel like, you know, they're against a certain level opponent, Oregon's going to be able to do it. But I think the question still is, Oregon's played two games now on the polar opposite ends of strength of opponent. And Mm -hmm. we have to wonder what they look like when they play someone in the middle. Uh, And the BYU game and then Washington State game are going to be two really good barometers of, kind of where this Oregon team settles in and and what it looks like 
against teams in between FCS and probably the best team in the country right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, that's kind of, you know, that has to be your framing in thinking about this game, right? Um, that being said, you know, playing against a lesser opponent, <laughs> you still put up 42 points in one half of football. Um, and you have to be somewhat competent <laughs> to be able to do that against anybody. Um, also, it's worth mentioning, I mean, in Eastern Washington's first game, their QB, Gunnar Talkington, Great name, by the way. Um, he went off. He had like over 400 yards or something. Held at just 12 completions and 87 yards passing in this game. Uh, two picks, but he had two touchdowns as well. Um, and then Nick's on the other side, man. I mean, 28 of 33 for 277, five touchdowns. <laughs> That's a, over 200 quarterback rating, like similar to what Stetson had last week for Georgia. Um, but overall, um, just a really solid team performance. And I think the defense is the unit that um, people will be the most happy about coming out of this one. Obviously the offense put up 70, like you can't be mad about that. Or I guess they put up most of that 70 that they had a defensive touchdown. Um, But in terms of improvement based on last week, uh, I mean, you know, obviously Oregon only got three points last week, but we still moved the ball up and down the field a little bit um against a really good team just didn't capitalize in the red zone this time nine for nine in the red zone uh like i said first nine drives were all touchdowns you can't ask for a better scenario in that sense um so i guess i'll just pose it to you like which unit impressed you more based on your expectations coming into this one yeah i think you know i still say the offense um like you know i don't know i just the defense looked so bad versus Georgia in my mind um, that I just was not going to allow for this Eastern Washington game to reshape my perception of them that much. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it was good that they had seven points for the vast majority of the game um, and then, you know, tacked another one on uh, when I think pretty much the second unit was in. Um, but, and, you know, maybe, maybe I'm being a little too pessimistic because obviously, like you said, Eastern Washington is a competent offense. And, uh, we talked about that game in 2015, you know, Oregon has had past defenses that would struggle with an FCS team, uh, that knows what they're doing, you know, and football is an interesting sport in that way. If, if you're calling good plays and you have a quarterback who can throw it, well um and receivers who know the routes they're running it you know you can move the ball on a team that's a more talented defense if they're not uh you know assignment sound uh if they're not well coached and so yeah it was a positive to see that from the defense but at the same time I just uh was really disappointed obviously in the Georgia game uh despite Georgia being really good it just was like we said there was no resistance there uh, and going back, you know, the as we said in that recap, the last four of the last five games before this have been blowouts. And in part, that's been because uh, the defense hasn't kept them in games. The offense didn't put them in a great position in a lot of those times either. But I'm just anxious to see this defense turn it around. Uh, I'm optimistic that through the season, this defense will get better. Um, I feel like this offense is going to be pretty 
pretty solid and stay around this level and, and gel a little bit. But I think we kind of know what we have. Uh, I think there's a world where this defense may be coming out of the bye week as we get into the second half of the uh, second half of the season realizes some of the potential we have we saw in them the comparisons that we obviously made to could this be a defense like the 2019 group early in the season this doesn't look like a top five defense or top 10 defense in the country like 2019 was but Mm -hmm. maybe as they adjust the scheme more they could turn into that Uh, going into the season i thought that they had the talent to do that um but We'll, we'll just have to see what they do against better opponents than Eastern Washington, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's worth noting that while Georgia is like in another, on another planet in terms of talent, they are technically speaking closer to Oregon. Like Oregon's closer to Georgia in talent than they are Eastern Washington on paper. Um, but again, there are a lot of caveats to throw on top of that first game as well. Uh, we, we've seen teams change over the co- course of a season, specifically Oregon teams who have lost in the, the season opener. They showed that graphic on the broadcast, actually, that the last two Oregon teams to lose their season openers have gone on to win Rose Bowls. Um, so that was pretty nice. But um, I don't know. I want to point to a quote that Lanning had after the game talking about the defense. Um and he he pretty much just said, let's be honest, Georgia's a, a phenomenal football team. Basically just saying they're better. Uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, there's like still things they want to clean up, but he was just happy that the Ducks could do things like tackle the other team um, and, quote, play a physical brand of football. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Oregon, this was a get-right game for Oregon. They were really playing against themselves more than anyone else. I mean, you, you typically are against an FCS team, right? Like, no matter how good an FCS team plays, you still gotta, like, you're still gonna have to see some mistakes from a Power 5 program to lose a game like that. Uh, and Oregon was far from that. I mean, there were very few mistakes at all, really, in this game. Um, one thing I, I... Okay, do you, do you want to just get into the timeline, actually, of this game? Or you wanna, do yeah, you want to be more general? No, no, let's do that. Because I want to actually, I want to go talk about something we usually never talk about um, in in the timeline, and that's the coin toss. Uh, Oregon win, wins the coin toss and deferred to the second half, uh, and I thought that was interesting because based on how the defense played last week, you know, you might, you know, uh, common thinking might say you want to put your offense out there and start it off. But I liked how we put the defense out there, forced a three and out on that first drive. Um, obviously they were helped out by a penalty, but even so, um, it's nice to get some momentum behind that first unit. Uh, and I think that that's kind of something that's going to go undershadowed for the most part. So, um, obviously Oregon gets the ball back, uh, or gets the ball for the first time. Um, there were a couple negative plays here and there on that first drive, but, uh, by and large, it was a pretty easy, first drive you had Noah Whittington starting and getting the the carries on this first drive um Terrence Ferguson ends up catching the first touchdown pass with a nice little catch and run on third and eight um this comes after Oregon converts on third and ten and fourth and one or I guess they didn't convert on third and ten but they turn they convert on um fourth and one uh any thoughts from this opening drive what what really stood out to you yeah I think the two things you kind of hit on Noah Whittington getting the start at running back 
you know, that, that position group and how those carries are split is obviously an evolving story that we're all paying a lot of attention to. Uh, and there wasn't necessarily, again, a lot of separation throughout the day in the running back room, um, but interesting to see where the coaches' heads are at. Uh, and Noah Whittington looked good on this drive, and then the second part of it was Terrence Ferguson. Um, that was a big-time catch uh, and run into the end zone, and he had another one uh, later in the game that was really impressive as well, uh, winning a tip ball and shrugging off defenders. He kind of looked like our version of Darnell Washington, uh, <laughs> given that the opponents were FCS players. Um, he, he was able to do his best impression there, I think, and he's turning into a, a real weapon for this team. Um, definitely being a kind of pass-catching tight end uh, and just his physical length and athleticism, I think is a little different than what we've seen at that position at Oregon. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, Breland obviously had a successful start to 2019. Um, you have guys like Farrow Brown and stuff, but I think Terrence Ferguson has a really high potential um, and seems like he's settling into being a legit weapon for this team. Uh, that's obviously going to be pretty hard to defend as we go into the Pac-12, and I'm excited to see that from him. Yeah, and he's a really good guy to have in the red zone, right? Um, right. We've we've talked at length in the past about Oregon's lack of weapons outside at times. Obviously, they have a ton of weapons outside on this team, but you also need that big guy in the, in the middle to really make a defense um, cover all their bases in the red zone. So, um, yeah, that was really nice to see. Again, it came on third and eight. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I wasn't really concerned about converting third and fourth downs, stuff like that. I mean, the Ducks ended up, uh, having a pretty fine, I mean, they went four or five on third down and one of one on fourth down, um, in, on, in this first quarter, but, um, it's kind of nice, honestly, like it's counterintuitive again, but it's kind of nice to have some of these third and fourth down situations in a game like this. Um, cause often a team might be untested in that sense, uh, when they get into more serious competition. So, um, and again, there, there's not really any positive conclusions we can draw from the Georgia game. So um, I thought it was good that uh, they could, they were able to convert these, these late downs. We saw um, something that a lot of Oregon fans have been begging for, for years at this point. Uh, we saw a QB sneak from under center on fourth and one. Right. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was very satisfied with this first drive all around. Um, another three and out for the defense and uh you know Whittington gets back in the game on that second drive although we get a little more dose of Marquis serving on this one he gets the big play the 26 yarder um and then Matavao gets 16 yards to set up the Noah Whittington rush into the end zone um again we can kind of fly through some of these but is there anything that kind of stuck out to you on that second drive that you remember yeah early thread of uh this being a really good game for Troy Franklin, maybe his breakout game uh, at Oregon, I would mm -hmm. say. What he finished with, let me pull it up, 84 yards and a touchdown on 10 receptions. Um, no yeah. one else on the team had more than four. He was a go-to guy on those third down situations. Uh, and 
just looked a lot more like a veteran. I mean, you talked about running to the sticks and turning around and getting yourself in a position to get a first down on those third and 11s. Um, he consistently through the day kind of came up with those big plays. Um, this was a game without many breakout plays, uh, many explosive plays, I guess I mean. Um, he had a long of 19, you know, but he had 10 receptions for 84 yards. It was just every time we needed a receiver, it seemed like he was one of the first options to, to go to. Uh, and that was, that is a big thing, right? One of the storylines going into this year was who's the wide receiver one going to be? I think that people have been surprised to see a little bit less Dante Thornton uh, than we maybe expected. Um, and there's been a little more Chase Coda as that wide receiver too. But seeing Troy Franklin emerge and kind of look like a wide receiver one in this game uh, is a big question uh, on its way to being answered this season for, for Oregon, it looks like. Yeah, and another thing about that is the situations in which they went to him and in which he caught some of these balls right. was really important, right? Lots of third, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but lots of third and fourth down conversions, um, particularly, I think, in the second quarter. Um, and he's catching the ball at the sticks. Then there were only a couple instances where he, he catches it and then dips behind the line to gain before he goes back forward, which, you know, I guess it's a teachable moment probably. But in general, it's great to see somebody actually get to the sticks, you know, get those receptions and move forward. Also, I'm pretty sure the last player to have double-digit receptions in a game for Oregon was... Uh, Johnny Johnson, the third. Uh, maybe I misheard that stat at some point, but um, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. So, you know, great, awesome. Like you said, we need a first option. Um, we need someone, I, I don't know, I think of him, uh, I think of that wide receiver one role. This I've been framing it recently in terms of like the Xavier Worthy at Texas, which I know is ironic for Oregon fans because at one point he was, he was committed to Oregon, <laughs> but... Um, like if you need to throw it, throw up a ball, like who are you confident in? Who do you want to be under that ball? Like if you need a prayer, who is going to answer it or who is like at least having the physical capabilities to answer it on your team? Um, and right now, Franklin is that guy for the ducks. I mean, he is the one who will step up on third downs, um, at least so far. So thankfully it's happening this early in the season where hopefully we can, get him fully integrated and then bring others into the fold as well and get them up to speed. Um, either way, a uh, nice little physical rush by Whittington. I mentioned Irving was the second back in. We could we talked about running back orders on last week's uh, recap episode. Maybe we could do it again here if we want to. But 14-0, um, and it's not particularly close. Defense forces another three and out. They're third in the row. Um is anything standing? Are you remembering anything about these defensive possessions? I know I'm kind of brushing over them because they were all so quick, but that's obviously a good thing. Yeah, I'm not really anything that stood out to me on my first watch. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to do some of a rewatch of these defensive series, especially, and kind of see if anything particular stands out. But I mean, it was pretty much a clinic for through these first four defensive drives really obviously three and out three and out three and out and then we'll get to a, a one play interception on the next one um <laughs> yeah it it just seemed like eastern washington couldn't really do anything uh and 
that was obviously a great sign for Oregon. And it was just really nice to have this game never be in doubt. Um, especially mm -hmm. on offense, I felt like we've been used to these games under Cristobal where even against not so good opponents, uh, the offense just finds a way to not convert into points. Um, and you, you know, are in the second quarter or third quarter and it's a 14 point game all of a sudden. And so mm -hmm. it, it was nice to just kind of this offense pretty much just rolled through it and the defense didn't let them go get going early so that by the time, you know, their offense finally did score, the game felt like it was already in garbage time pretty much. Um, so, yeah, good start by the defense, certainly, but nothing particular that I'd highlight from those four first four. I will say on this this third defensive drive we were talking about, um, third and four, they, they throw a slant and it goes through the receiver's hands. So, you know, kind of get bailed out on that one. And then there was a penalty on the other drive. But in general, I agree. I mean, I think the biggest thing, we just saw a huge improvement in tackling, something we already talked about a little bit. Right. And, um, and, and we did get some actual pressure on the QB as well. Yeah, and that's a good point, I think, is, is one of the reasons why I'm just not going to – you know, throw a party about this defense quite yet is because there were some drops for Eastern Washington, certainly on that drive and the penalty just in the first one um, that just, you know, I, I just didn't feel like Eastern Washington was perfectly executing. They, and, <laughs> you know, obviously they weren't. Um, and so I'm just waiting to see this Oregon team actually show up against the team that feels like it can win and, and is hitting on all cylinders and kind of meet that challenge more so uh, because this game seemed like maybe it was, you know, the smoky conditions or whatever, but there was just kind of a haze over a lot of the Eastern Washington offensive possessions where it seemed like there was a, the threat never really got started, um, at least early yeah. on. Yeah, they kind of, they got punched in the mouth early and they never really got up. Like they never really responded. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, let's keep talking about this Oregon offense because it was doing really well. Uh, Ducks get the ball back uh, with three thirty nine left in the first on their own seventeen. Uh, we saw Bo Nix with a couple QB keepers to start this drive. Uh, both of them successful. Um, he's a legit threat with his legs. I, I think it's something that we didn't really focus on after the Georgia game just because of. Uh, the interceptions and how poor the entire team played. But um, I really think he's he's a legit threat on the ground, and hopefully it actually gets used, you know, unlike some other quarterbacks who we've <laughs> underutilized in that sense. Um, uh, Nick's had a solid drive here, though. Um, obviously, Irving is the back on this uh, on this possession. He gets a big run out to midfield. Uh, there's another 14-yard completion to Troy Franklin. One incompletion, then a steady dose of Byron Cardwell. Um, another completion to, to Hudson to end the quarter before the Ducks punch it in with Noah Whittington. And then we got to talk about this, uh, this, this Ferguson play. Um, <laughs> probably Nix's well, – not probably. Definitely Nix's worst throw of the game. Yeah. Um, well defended by the DB, but also not really a ball that should be thrown. Probably one that should be intercepted, if we're really being honest. Um, it bounces off a helmet somewhere in there. 
pops up. Ferguson wins the jump ball, as you alluded to earlier, uh, and then just strides into the end zone. Cause for concern at all, or just kind of a weird fluke play? I think more so just a continuation of of what we've come to see Bonix as. Uh, you know, that was his questionable decision of the day, I feel like. And luckily that one turned out all right. Um, and he limited them in, in a lot of other places. But that was definitely, you know, a throw uh, and a decision more so than a missed well, I mean, it it wasn't a great ball, I guess, but just a decision that shouldn't have been made. Uh, and we saw two of those in versus Georgia, um, and I think we'll probably continue to see one or two of those in most of these games that he plays. Um, and you just hope that they end up like this one did, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Rather than, you know, a, what happened against Georgia, either a spectacular defensive play or a pretty easy um, – and smart interception that was the second one versus Georgia. So, yeah, and I mean, I say I said Ferguson won it as a jump ball as well. That's pretty generous. It kind of just falls into his hands. Um, but again, on this run, we see the physicality from Ferguson. Um, he breaks three different tackles to get into the end zone. Uh, so, I mean, again, legit red zone threat. Kind of in an unorthodox way on this play, but all the touchdowns count the same. Um. As we move on through the rest of this first half, I mean, there's not not a ton of stuff to pick out. Um, maybe you could say, I think the next actually kickoff is the one where uh, Kilo Kilo Hanahazenritter like absolutely destroys the the guy um, <laughs> on kickoff return. So that was pretty cool to see. Again, at this point, Oregon just had a different energy than they did against Georgia. Um, similar to how we talked about Eastern Washington. I mean, the Ducks got punched and never really got up against Georgia. In this game, though, they finally got the chance to shine a little bit, um, both individually and as a team. Um, and that was just really fun to watch. You know, it, it made for better viewing straight up. Um, yeah, I, I also and, I also think there's something to be said about just you know, getting a game where on offense, a lot of these guys get to break through, finally get into the end zone, get their touches. Like you, you know, there's a lot of time on all these successful drives to get different people involved um, and kind of make everyone feel a little better about their role, make people feel better about this team is actually pretty good. Um, And I think it just felt to me like, you know, whether or not Oregon's going to be a good enough team to beat BYU, uh, we'll see, obviously. Um, I certainly think they have a have a good shot to do it, uh, and we'll preview that more during the week. But this game made me feel a little less worried about what headspace this team will be in going into that game. You know, I think that this, this was the type of get-right game mentally uh, more than anything that allowed this group to come together a little more. I mean, they talked about how going into Atlanta, that was the first time they went through warmups together, the first time with this coaching staff and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, that was the only impression for them to have of what this team looked like together, uh, at least with this combination of quarterback and coaching and this and that. um, And these, a lot of these starters on offense and what have you, um, and obviously it didn't go well. Now you get a version of it like, oh, this this can't this group can succeed, um, 
And so I hope that when you go into BYU, now at least mentally you don't have that same level of doubt uh, that you would have had if this was one of the games kind of like we'd been seeing the past few years under Cristobal um, in these games with big point spreads where the offense mm-hmm. sputters for a while and there's frustration and the defense you know, lets them score 14 earlier on uh, or maybe get to 20 or something and you know, it's a 28-14 game in the third quarter. Like, that would have been potentially toxic, I think, for this new group. Um, it was certainly at times in the past few years. So this is the type of game you want against these teams, you know, and, and it helps for more than just the stats of it. I think it helps mentally as well for this group. Yeah, definitely. It's a confidence builder. Um it also helps when the quarterback does things like just throw the ball over the top. Uh, the, the opposing team's quarterback throws the ball over the top to absolutely no one except Christian Gonzalez, uh, who had a nice little return. Um, from there, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five straight passes by the Ducks. Um, how did you feel, by the way, about the play calling in this game? We got a little bit of a different taste Um Again, for many reasons that we already all know. Uh, do you think Dillingham called a good game, or do you think it was more just a case of the Ducks being able to execute anything that was called? Yeah, I think he called a good game. I mean, you know, it's it's funny. It's hard to ever recreate kind of the magic of those early Chip Kelly days, obviously. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. still an expectation that I think looms for Oregon fans, right? Uh, because just the way that that scheme was and the fact that a lot of people had never seen it before, uh, especially in these FCS games, but against almost anyone really for a few years there, you just have, you know, 70-yard touchdowns where a guy caught the ball and no one was within 10 yards of him when he caught it. And he was, you know, a orders of magnitude faster than any defender who was around him anyways um and so we didn't get to see that in this game we didn't have any really explosive plays uh but it was very successful um in terms of converting drives into touchdowns right and that's what dillingham has talked about as the measuring stick for this offense um isn't so much you know success on a play or total points in a game it's how many points you get each time your offense gets the ball that's the metric that he cares about most and it was extremely successful in this case um again i mean you look at this drive one of the things that was important was third down conversions and fourth down conversions they faced a few hard ones on this one first third and six pass complete to troy franklin for no gain on fourth and six, we go for it from the Eastern Washington 40. And it's back to Troy Franklin again for 11 yards and a conversion. Oregon gets a penalty later in the drive on a delay of game, um, which was, you know, a little bit of a maybe first-year coaching staff uh, game management mistake. Uh, but then on a third and 13, 19-yard pass to Troy Franklin. Um, so, again, we see you know, Franklin coming through in those big moments uh, and Nick's having composure 
and being able to find those passes uh, when he needs to. I mean, I've been impressed by that. Um, there was one play, I forget where it was in this game exactly, where Nick's really stood in that pocket for a long time, and I think he found Maliki Matavau on the sideline. Um, and it was like, you could see, I think, that he was, he had a few moments where he was thinking, oh, should I, you know, kind of maybe force this pass or that? And he was able mm -hmm. to contain himself, take an extra beat, realize that he had protection, and, you know, then make the easiest pass, set himself, and see Mataval without a guy within five yards of him. Um, and so I've been impressed by Nick's doing that. You know, even... For stretches of the Georgia game, I thought he was good at that. Um, so, I, I'm, I was optimistic about his play still. Uh, and obviously, a lot of good things happened in this game. But, you know, again, it's it's an FCS game ultimately. And I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because <laughs> it, when, you know, when Washington does well against a bad opponent, everyone's going to make fun of their fan base for hyping it up too much, you know, and... and Obviously, we can't be hypocritical because, you know, we just talked about how, or some people in this fan base talk about how it only matters what you do against good opponents, um, you know, discrediting other people's performances in week one because we went and played Georgia. Uh, yeah. So, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm really excited for next week, obviously. What else have you seen from either this drive or, you know, maybe we can go through some of these rest pretty quickly because obviously it does get into garbage time yeah the game was over at this point uh irving punches it in like you said i mean the the fact that we were really getting nick's reps in the past game and that they were working uh was a super positive sign to me um again you need to build that confidence back up you need to just get in rhythm with your receivers um and this was a perfect game to do it uh like, as you mentioned as well, and that we talked about earlier, Troy Franklin just coming up huge on these late downs. Um, then Irving punches it in. Uh, this next, I mean, they have the kickoff return where they go super far, and then there's targeting and whatnot. Um, and Eastern Washington kind of used that short field to, to cash in. Start The drive started at the Oregon 38. Um, although they did convert a third and five and a third and eight on this drive. Uh, and I guess the, the touchdown was on a third and seven. Um, so that was kind of, that was somewhat annoying um, just to see the defense give up those, those uh, big plays on third down. But um, other than that, I mean, again, it's 28 to zero, but already at that point, like this, everyone knows this game is over. Um, I'll, I'll ask a question about special teams actually. Uh, we saw a variety of different people returning kicks and punts, um, whether it was Seven McGee was typically on kickoffs or um, Chris Hudson and Chase Cota were like splitting the punt rep, punt return reps, I'm pretty sure. Um, did any of those guys catch your eye? Did anybody stand out to you or was it just kind of regular old like return stuff? Yeah, I think I, I like Chris Hudson as a return man. Um, personally, I just think he has a little more shift to him than like Chase Coda, probably. Mm -hmm. um, Seven McGee I like too, obviously. Uh, you know, I, I I, mean, I 
right, grew up watching Oregon mostly. I'm used to guys like Braylon Addison and obviously DeAnthony Thomas being the best to do it, Cliff Harris, um, even Mikhail Wright recently obviously did his thing. Uh, Javon Holland did his thing for, for a bit in 2019. So mm-hmm. I like, you know, having those guys who can do something back there. Um, and we've seen some success in the history of this program, recent history uh, with return men. So, yeah, I lean towards guys like Chris Hudson, who I feel like could break a, a big play um, and kind of just putting it in the hands of your best playmakers. And I think Oregon has a luxury here of, you know, someone like Seven McGee or Chris Hudson, you're looking to get more touches too, honestly. Um, it's an opportunity mm-hmm. to get the ball in their hands. It, it's not like those guys are your wide receiver one or two even, uh, and you need to hold off and, and protect them because you're going to be targeting them five times on the next drive. Uh, so I yeah. think it's a great opportunity to put some of those guys who can be dynamic with the ball in their hands in a position where, and see if they can make something happen. Um, yeah, but, you know, I, I'd have to see more reps, right? Um, and obviously we don't get to see what they do in practice uh, to really make any definitive claim. But in general, I lean with, you know, whoever can can make the big plays. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of big plays, uh, back on offense just before the end of the half here, we got a nice little drive by um, Dante Thornton. Gets like three different targets on this drive. First one goes for 15 yards. Uh, second one's an incompletion, but the third one, or, or sorry, no, the second one's a 22-yard completion, and the third one is incomplete. But um, obviously there was a, a tiny bit of drama after the UGA game about Thornton's lack of reps. Um, he wasn't too pleased about it. Uh, only had four catches in this one, but, I mean, he had, uh, what was what the numbers right in front of me here, uh, he had 60 yards on four catches. Not bad at all. Uh, what did you think of his performance, and do you want to see him play more over a guy like Coda, uh, or are you kind of fine with whatever rotation they throw out there at this point? Uh, I mean, I, I've always been bullish on Dante Thornton. Um, I, I really like him. He had a lot of snaps in this game by comparison, so Coda had 63. Um Thornton had 40 and Franklin actually had 39. I mean, I think Franklin's night ended a little sooner um, mm-hmm. because of, uh, you know, how successful he was and how out of hand the game got. Um, and in this instance, um, you know, also looking at the PFF numbers, one of the storylines I talked about last week was, at least in terms of how PFF graded them out, Thornton really struggled in run blocking relative to what Coda and Franklin were able to do versus Georgia. This week, uh, Thornton had a much better performance, unsurprising, right, versus an FCS team. Um, But he was put out there in 22 run blocking situations. He graded out at a 62.6, which is middle of the pack. Um, Mm -hmm. Franklin actually, again, in 15 run blocking situations, graded out really well. Um, at a 79.6, and Coda was the low man uh, on this one with 47.5 in the run blocking grade. So a bit of a gradient there. I think we'll get more clarity as to how strong these guys are as the season progresses um, and has as we face, you know, again, a, a more 
steady distribution of quality of opponent because right now we have a data point against an extremely physical defensive back room um, and you know some of the best defensive backs in the country at Georgia and then an FCS quality defensive back room and blocking those guys um, and really what matters is how you block against Pac-12 level, level opponents for the rest of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we'll see if, if that continues to maybe hold Thornton back. But in terms of his playmaking, I mean, I think that he has the tools to be a really good receiver in this league, as good as almost any any of the receivers we've come seen come through in the past five years. I think he's right there pushing what for Franklin is able to do. Um, and I wasn't sure that Franklin was going to be the number one guy over him even going into this year. So I see ton of potential in what he can do for sure. Um, and I thought it was a good performance again on, on Saturday, but I'm, I'm hopeful that he gets to have more opportunity. Honestly, I think Coda was all right in this game, but like I said, I mean, it wasn't his best performance in run blocking. And on top of that, I think he had two drops in the game. Um, they were contested, yeah, but, you know, go down as as plays he probably thinks he should have caught, right? Um, and mm-hmm. that's a big part of why we're playing Chase Coda, right, is, is that kind of veteran consistency. Uh, and so if he's struggling to deliver that, you know, a guy like Thornton has higher upside. Um, he, he can probably make some of the bigger plays, but it's also one game. Um, so we'll see kind of how this develops. I, I certainly hope that Thornton continues to get at least, you know, uh, a meaning part of a meaningful wide receiver trio, uh, even if he's not the number two guy necessarily. Yeah, I agree. Um, another thing to look at is like yards after catch, I think was really interesting. Coda only five of them on two receptions. Uh, and then you see a guy like Thornton get 32 on four receptions, even right. chop that in half for sample size. And it's like still pretty big difference. Um, yeah. I mean, I that's... don't hate Coda or anything. I just, you know, I I'm team skinnies at this point. <laughs> yeah. That, that numbers are yards after catch is a great way to quantify that kind of explosiveness, you know, and, and obviously mm-hmm. Thornton showed that in the numbers on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, Oregon just, showed the numbers as an entire team, right? This was a dominant performance all around. Uh, we don't really need to keep going through this this timeline at all, but um, we should point out a couple things, I think. Uh, one of them is that with, like, Oregon scored twice in the final, like, few minutes of the first half. I thought that was pretty nice. Um, we got a little bit of a rushed drive at the end there, um, which was cool to see. But... Uh, Yeah, man, and it was good that Franklin finally gets his touchdown. That was cool. Um, Even with a couple uh, penalties uh, either direction, it it shaped up to be a pretty nice final drive for the Ducks. So going into halftime, I mean, the game was already over. It was 42-7, to just getting absolutely demolished. Um, Did you have any general thoughts about this team yet? Uh, Or was it just kind of like, hey – Let's close this out. Let's put up some points and have fun, and and we'll move on to BYU. Yeah, I was excited to see the backups, excited to avoid injury. I mean, I thought the offense executed almost perfectly in that 
half and capped it off with that kind of fun two minute drill style drive um, that was organized pretty well and capped off again with you know no time left on the clock going for it uh, on a second and goal and Troy Franklin was the guy who popped up yet again as the go-to receiver. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought as successful a first half as we really could have wanted. I mean, my prediction going into the game was 52 to 24. Uh, and so to put up 42 in the first half, I think we said in the pregame podcast, like we really would love to get 45 in the game um at least and and above 50 would be a success and so to have 42 in the half just was nice it felt like the old days of of Dude, we gotta, fcs breakdowns we gotta start writing these score predictions down because i can't remember mine but i'm pretty sure i said 70 like kind of as a joke yeah um, i think you said but, 70 to 2 as a joke yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which was actually um, pretty close and then <laughs> yeah it ended up not being that that far off um so yeah again super excited super happy with the performance um there are a few more plays especially defensive ones i want to point out just from the rest of the game but one of them on offense uh sean dollars gets a big play 40 yard catch uh and run to get a first down on third and seven um he didn't have a ton of touches in this game but i think it just goes to show again it reinforces how deep this oregon running back room is i mean there's four guys who I feel very confident in with the ball in their hands. Um, and then there's Jordan James, who's not like a slouch at all. Uh, is this maybe the, how do I say this respectfully? Um, is this the deepest yet? Is this like the deepest running back room without a standout star maybe that we've seen from Oregon in the past few years? Yeah, I think that I think that's safe to say, right? Going into 2019, um, I thought you know it, it, there was some similarities with Darren Felix was still a good back, um, and and had some play in that Auburn game, and then I think transferred midway through the season. But I still like a lot of these guys more than than what that 2019 running back room or was. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, there's no. Yet, at least, there's no Royce Freeman or Kenyon or LaMichael James or Jonathan Stewart in this room, obviously. But the depth is there, uh, and I'm interested to see how this running back rotation continues to evolve. But it's been productive uh, so far. I mean, it was productive in this game, at least. And against Georgia, it was reasonably productive by the standards of of what you can expect to get on the ground against Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, eventually it was usually, we were usually punching the ball in through the air, which I thought was kind of interesting. Again, sometimes it was because we were not necessarily right on the goal line in which you would usually see rushing touchdowns. But um, I mean, even on this drive, you have, uh, a second and six from the 17 Troy Franklin gets it down to the two and then it's it's a crossing route from McCormick um, that may or may not have actually been a touchdown we'll, we'll go with yes for purposes of being homers but um, that was probably uh, one of my favorite moments from this game just because you know of the emotional toll that 
McCormick is carrying, obviously wearing Webb's number in this game in his honor. They were really good friends. Um, and seeing him score for the first time since, I believe, 2017, which is just an insane stat, uh, was a really cool moment uh, for this team as a whole. Um, and at that point, you're at 49-7, to um, feeling, feeling pretty good about this game. So, yeah. Uh, moving on, the, ne- the first play of the next drive in the third quarter um, is that Triquez Bridges, like, fumble or interception. Was it a fumble or an interception? I can't even remember. This interception um, that was then okay, fumbled yeah. into the end zone yeah, and, and picked up I don't by really know Rogers. Yeah, it's hard to score that one um, on your play sheet. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Casey Rogers ends up recovering the fumble in the end zone after Bridges fumbles it forward. So that's cool, I guess. Get a defensive touchdown, maybe get some juice. Would have been cool to see an actual pick six out of it, but I mean, I'm not complaining. Um, from this point, uh, I believe backups were in for the Ducks. Uh, was there any part of their game that stood out to you at this point? Yeah, I would say it was from Ty. It was most interesting uh, to see Ty take over, and honestly, for me, kind of some of the guys that that he gravitated towards or that that kind of formed a connection with him. I mean, it seemed like Thornton was a guy that Ty liked to go to um, probably a little more than, than Bo Nix was going to him. Right. Uh, So that was interesting. It also seemed like the guys were really excited when, uh, when Byron Cardwell punched in his touchdown. And I know a lot of the fan base is anxious about Byron Cardwell's role uh, and maybe feels like, you know, he deserves to be the primary back based on what we saw from him last season. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's not that I necessarily, well, I don't disagree about the quality of Cardwell as a back, but I understand that the other guys bring things to this room too. And that for this coaching staff, I don't think they have the same level of loyalty to a guy who was here a year before because they weren't even here a year before. Um, yeah. In fact, for Lachlan, obviously, you know, if, if he had a, any sort of loyalty or bias in his mind, it would probably be towards Whittington who came over with him. Um, but I don't think, I don't think that the decisions in the running back room in terms of carries have been any sort of glaring mistakes yet. I, I do feel like those guys are all pretty even. So I understand why the distribution is what it is right now. Uh, and, and I don't think that anyone's blown their opportunity or, or that anyone has looked so much better uh, than the opportunity that they're getting uh, to, to suggest that we should really question that running back room too harshly right now. But I root for Byron Cardwell too. Uh, I definitely think he's a good back and I was excited to see him score there. Um, but that that's really about it. Most of the stuff for me uh, was, was pretty much garbage time. Yeah, there's, maybe one more play worth discussing it's eastern washington's next touchdown um just kind of annoying that it was given up on a fourth and eight uh from the 15 and, and you let a guy score that's not always great um it's also just a play in which oregon could have done better in general but um yeah i agree not not much else to analyze at the end of this one um overall takeaways from this game like we've been saying, it's just a get-right game. Um, Lanning 
answered a question about takeaways and he dodged it. He's really good at dodging questions, like to an annoying level. Um, but he did say like, we had a bad taste in our mouths from the last game. We were anxious to play somebody. This game is going to help us move forward as we go on to play more good teams on the schedule. Um, he also had a quote that's like kind of corny because the benefit of a game like tonight is you get to see a lot of different players that will wear green and yellow. Yeah. All right. Great. Um, <laughs> and they get to see shout for the first time, everything like that. So, um, your overall takeaways from this game, Reed? Yeah, I would say one thing that was a more interesting storyline in this game that we haven't talked that much about is the offensive line uh, and the distribution there. Pass blocking was really successful all across the board, uh, and uh, which is a continuation of what we saw against Georgia. Um, Adrian Clem has impressed on the field so far, uh, and I know there's been some questions about what he's done so far in the recruiting trail outside of the Josh Connerly pickup last class, obviously. Um, but on the field, he's succeeded expectations in my mind. Uh, I think that mm -hmm. he had one of the more questionable or debatable coaching records uh, of, of these hires. Um, mm -hmm. His offensive lines didn't always come together at UCLA. In pass blocking, they've been great so far. Maybe better than than what Cristobal's were able to accomplish at times. Um, and obviously, there's a pretty big difference in philosophy, technically, in terms of what those guys teach. Um, I'm not the foremost expert on that stuff, but you know, he's done interviews and talked about that. Um, in terms of snap distribution and players specifically, Marcus Harper played 80 snaps. I think that was mm -hmm. close to all of them. Uh, maybe on that last drive or two, they took him out as well, but he played 15 more snaps than anyone else. He's a guy who I'd highlighted as in my thread last week on in PFF numbers and just in general about it, Oregon's kind of you know, questioning what they do at these guard spots right now still, in my mind. I think Stephen Jones doesn't look like a sure thing there. Ryan Walk was out with injury tonight uh, or last night. And otherwise, you know, it's it's Jax Powers Johnson and Marcus Harper. Um, and Harper's looked really good. He looked really good against again last night, as did Jackson Powers Johnson. Both had penalties, uh, I think, that were were responsible for false starts, I believe it was for both of them. Um, mm -hmm. or, or no, it was getting too far downfield. Uh, that's what it was. Yeah. 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 Um, well, and one of them, like Jackson just pushed his blocker. Like he just blocked the guy so well that he just pushed him back like five yards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's one of those things that isn't a reflection of, of not being a good player or anything. It's, it's really just an issue of experience, but, uh, both those guys had really good games. I'm, uh, definitely, you know, would be excited to see any of them take on a bigger role um, as this season continues once Walk comes back even. Uh, they both played more snaps than Jones on Saturday. Uh, and frankly, I think that's that's a good thing. Um, otherwise, yeah, this, this whole unit was just really successful. The other thing, obviously, is Josh Carnerly came in at the end, played 25 snaps. He looked really, really good. Um, they highlighted him a few times on the broadcast, and overall, he just you know did his job. Looked like he had a lot of potential, and continued to kind of make me feel like this offensive line 
actually is in a pretty good position after this season. Uh, even though they'll lose a lot of experience, there's there's some talent and guys who are finding some reps uh, and looking pretty good in the time that we see them. Uh, Caleb Chapman gets in the game. Guys like uh, you mentioned Connor Lee, but Davey Uli gets gets 28 snaps in the game as well. Kyler Casper had 19 snaps. Like Kawika Rogers, a lot of different guys. Um getting opportunities here so that's always nice to sh- nice to see both Jeremillo brothers got in the game at one point um so again that's exactly what you want to see out of this type of game um and like the georgia game i honestly don't have a ton of takeaways just because of the extremity of skill level on the other team um but one thing i can say for sure is i am hyped for this byu game um I think even more so than either of the first two games, if I'm being honest. Um, so yeah, uh, unless we have any final thoughts on on BYU, maybe we can scoop around some of these other games. Yeah, let's do it. Or I said BYU, Eastern Washington, whatever. <laughs> um, well, shoot, let's start with BYU, actually. Uh, not a conference game, but this one was pretty important. Uh, I certainly had my eye on it, eye on it at the end of the night. Um they pull out a, a double overtime win against Baylor at home. Um, honestly, the biggest thing I took from this game, I don't know how much of it you watched. The big, My biggest takeaway from this game is that Baylor is nowhere near a top 10 team. Um, they looked absolutely terrible, and it wasn't just because BYU were pretty good. Uh, it was really because Baylor were, were just that bad. Both teams missed opportunities to like go ahead and or win with field goals. All three of those opportunities were missed. Um, college kickers, what can you say? Uh, so, yeah, did you have any thoughts on this game? Yeah, I, I watched a lot of it on a second screen, um, just kind of getting getting it prepared for the potential for Oregon to face this BYU team. It was a defensive battle for most of the first half. That made me a little nervous because I think that this Oregon team – right now would like to play a higher scoring game based on what we've seen from the offense and defense so far. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, that's one of those things where there's two sides to the coin, right? It's either BYU's defense is really good uh, and Baylor's defense is also really good, or maybe their offenses are both not so good. Um, mm-hmm. And so that will be interesting for sure. I think that Baylor, yeah, they, they didn't look like a top 10 team to me either. Uh, and it was a bit sloppy at times. But, um, you know, BYU pulled it out. They, it, it, they didn't look like a team that uh, could not, wasn't capable of beating Oregon. I think that they could beat Oregon if Oregon doesn't put in a good performance. But I still have optimism about that matchup. We'll get more into it. Uh, and... I think that this game probably is as close to, you know, uh, a, the best possible result for Oregon as you can get. Getting, you know, having mm-hmm. them play a double overtime exhausting game at home, but get the win and go up in the rankings. Um, and yet still, now they have to leave Provo and go on the road to Autzen Stadium. It's a classic opportunity for a let ga- letdown game, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot like what Oregon did when they beat Washington in 2018 and then had to travel to Washington State the next week. Uh, yeah, and we yeah. 
you probably remember how that game went. It was it was a pretty big <laughs> blowout um, for the Cougars. So I think that's great uh, for the Ducks. You know, I'm I'm really excited for this game as well. I think it's going to be competitive. It's really fun for me when you get to go into a college football game where you don't have to worry about the spread. Um, you don't really yeah. have to worry about style points. Uh, you just are playing a team that you think you have a chance to beat. Um, and that's the entirety of the goal, you know, is, is just to come out mm-hmm. with a win. Uh, the AP poll just dropped, actually. Oregon slid into the back half of the rankings at 25, and BYU is at 12. <sighs> 12? Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. So it's like we talked about before the season. You know, this is a great opportunity to kind of artificially repair the Oregon image. Uh, now, is BYU a good team? They're pretty good, but, you know, I'm still not convinced, as we'll get into the rest of the slate, like with what Washington State just did against Wisconsin, Um or even, you know, Arizona looking all right. Some of these other teams, like, I'm not convinced this game is that much harder than a lot of the middle uh, to, you know, upper tier games in the Pac-12, and yet you're getting the national credit for beating an almost top 10 team, for beating a team that's better than Utah, supposedly. And, you know, frankly... I mean, we're still going to beat them first, but... Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I'm just saying that's the opportunity in front of it. And, you know, I, I view the Utah game as a much more challenging than this BYU one uh, based on what we've seen so far. For sure. Although BYU might... Um, well, I don't know. I, I, I almost said BYU might have the better quarterback. I think Rising has shown more consistency over last season than Jaron Hall did in, in what we've seen of him so far. But he did have a good game in this one against Baylor. Um, we're we're going to run into – you alluded to it, but we're going to run into that awkward scenario in college football where you have a team ranked way higher than another one, but the other team is favored. Um, <laughs> the Ducks are still at most books around like – three to six point favorites you can find them anywhere in there um as you said though it's really a game where the spread truly does not matter um you need to win period the end doesn't matter if it's by one doesn't matter if it's by a hundred like just get the job done um Oregon this is a game Oregon should win on paper like straight up uh they're a more talented team than BYU as long as they can put the pieces together we just saw BYU struggle with a team that I think they were better than. Um, so we'll see how they stack up against uh, one one that bests them talent-wise. Um, other than that game, uh, I'll give you the board, man. What else was catching your eye this weekend that you want to do a, a little bit of a bigger dive on? Um, I think that that Washington State game I mentioned real quick, uh, I definitely had my eyes you know, focused on Honestly, most of the slate for Oregon before this bye week, all of those guys yeah. had big tests. Uh, Washington State was one of them that they passed. Uh, I'm still not sure how to feel about this Washington State team, honestly. <laughs> uh, I definitely have been a critic of Wisconsin in the past because they, <laughs> you know, they just are incompetent offensively. Uh, and yeah. Graham, especially under Graham Mertz, they just have not found the ability to, to move the ball against p- 
potentially bad defenses. And so I'm, I'm not ready to give Washington State all the credit in the world as, you know, a, a top-level defense. Uh, and Cam Ward, their quarterback, honestly has looked a little more shaky than – then mm-hmm. many people expect him to kind of plug and play there and, and have a lot of success immediately coming from Incarnate Ward with his offensive coordinator. That hasn't really happened for Wazoo quite yet. Um, but huge credit f- to them for pulling this out. I mean, this was the biggest win for the Pac-12 in non-conference play so far. Uh, I think, again, I mean, they were aided by a few turnovers. Uh you know, fumbles but, I mean, especially, but they turned the ball over as well. And so yeah. lost the yardage battle, <laughs> um, you know, lost the first down battle, 10 to 22. But they found a way to win. Great for Pac-12 perception, uh, but I don't know if it changes my perception of Washington State as dramatically as I would have thought you know, it would change my perception before I saw how the game played out, if that makes sense. I will say the one part of Wazoo's game that I was very impressed with was their run defense. Um, Obviously, Braylon Allen is a great back. And even if you know Wisconsin is just going to run the ball, which they always do, you still have to be able to stop it, right? Uh, And a lot of teams just straight up can't stop it. So credit to Wazoo. I thought they were more physical than I was really expecting um and they should end up shutting out wisconsin in the second half to get the win so good for them great win for the pac-12 um another great win for the pac-12 i i think i would say um is oregon state going and beating fresno uh this is a really really great game i still need to do a rewatch of it um and i'm excited to see the highlights from it but uh i i did see the touchdown at the end with jack coletto like what a way to win a game right three lead changes in the final like couple minutes or whatever it was um and that was after a 360 yard performance from jake hayner obviously threw the ball 45 times so that that helps if you're oregon state but um this game was a pick i think we both took oregon state let me see no you took fresno wow um so either way, hugely entertaining game. We both thought it was going to be close, and it was. Um, did you get to catch any of that one? Yeah, I watched pretty much that entire game, uh, and it was it was just awesome. I mean, I was rooting for the Beavs personally. Maybe there'll be some controversy in that amongst the Oregon fan base, but <laughs> I wanted them to pull it out. It was a just an awesome college football game, honestly. One of those things where this sport just produces these moments in you know a week two between two teams that are good but in nowhere sniffing a national title conversation. You know, mm-hmm. probably not going to be top fifteen teams in the country at any point. And yet, this was one of my favorite games, if not maybe my favorite game of the weekend slate because. It just meant so much to this Oregon State program. They'd struggled on the road. Fresno was a good team. And it was, there were times where they faced adversity. They had to get big stops. You know, they had to have a missed field goal here or there. And they came up um, and somehow managed to get the job done. And, you know, obviously it culminates in that really ballsy play call at the two yard line with no time left uh 
to go with the you know little gadget Jack Coletto mm-hmm. run uh, that has become one of their signature kind of you know not trick plays but wrinkles that they like to go to. Um, so it was a huge win for Oregon State. I know it meant a lot to that fan base to finally get a quality road win that they was so elusive last season. Um, so that was that was just an awesome football game in my mind. Uh, elsewhere, I mean, I think the USC game was kind of interesting. Stanford was more competitive at times than I thought. I don't know if you saw um, them. I saw a lot of it, yeah. Yeah, they kind of brought out that uh, Wake Forest slow mesh concept mm-hmm. uh, was David Shaw's wrinkle for this game. Um, and they turned the ball over twice within the 10-yard line yeah. in the first half. Um, but they were able to move the ball at times. USC's offense looked like a juggernaut in the first half and slowed down a lot in the second half. Um, Still think USC looked very good, but it made me think outside of those two turnovers that Stanford could be a little more competent than people had given them credit for, maybe. Uh, I'm interested to see kind of more from them. Um, But, yeah, overall, you know, and, and Arizona's the last one from that pre-bye week slate that had a competitive game against Mississippi State. It it just made me feel like with all four of these games that Oregon has ahead of them, uh, paired with what Oregon did in their game, that I think the Ducks are back in. They should be favored in each one of these games, but each of them feel maybe losable to me as well. Um so we'll see how that goes. I think it should be four really fun weeks of football. Uh, and if Oregon finds a way to go 4-0, and that would be great. If Oregon gets to 3-1 and in these games, I think you honestly should be happy with that as an Oregon fan. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm really excited for what these next four weeks look like. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, obviously, that Stanford one is looking easier um, than usual, but I mean course knock on wood about that <laughs> uh but yeah wazoo and arizona away seem as we mentioned in the preview and as we've been mentioning all year those are going to be tough games like we can't discount that um other around the pack stuff cal really struggled with unlv although their defense looked really good their their offense is so bad um they scored just six points in the final three quarters uh, and barely pulled out a win there at home against UNLV, although you wouldn't know it by the empty stadium they were playing in. Um, Washington demolishes Portland State. UCLA demolishes Alabama State, a couple of FCS opponents. Um, I think you mentioned Arizona was competitive for a while against Mississippi State, um, and then the fighting Mike Leach's pull away at the end uh, late, late at night there. Um other than that, Colorado gets beaten badly by Air Force. Um, Colorado may be headed for a winless season. Um, Arizona State loses by 17 to Oklahoma State. And Utah beat the crap out of Southern Utah. Um, overall, uh, not much changes in the Pac-12 landscape, I think it's safe to say. Um, it was really, I think it was a positive week for the conference. Um, and with Notre Dame falling against Marshall... And Freeman now being 0-3 there, I think Cal has a legitimate opportunity to to make some people angry if they can beat Notre Dame. Obviously, it's an away game, but that that's suddenly one to watch next week. 
Um, and we can we can get into next week's next week's matchups a little more, but I just thought that was worth pointing out. Um, anything else from around the country you want to touch on? Obviously, that Alabama game was pretty crazy. Um, yeah, some I think other important results. I think we're gonna see what Alabama evolves into. Uh, ditto with Ohio State as this season progresses, but both of them took a hit in different ways on Saturday in terms of my perception of them. Uh, I mean, Ohio State will get out of the way quickly. Just seeing Notre Dame be competitive with them last week and then lose to Marshall at home was just, uh, you know, I I don't understand how we put Ohio State still in the same camp as Georgia right now when their opponent mm-hmm. is doing that. Their their signature win that was pretty competitive is doing that against Marshall. Um, it just kind of cements that that Notre Dame offense is kind of incompetent. Uh, and mm-hmm. we maybe shouldn't be as sure about the Ohio State defense as people wanted to be um, following that game. And then with Alabama... That was a shocking game to me. Yeah, I assumed yeah. Alabama would roll, um, but it seemed like their offensive line had some of the same issues that we saw at times last year. Uh, and it just made me feel like, you know, in a one-game setting, can Alabama or Ohio State compete with Georgia? Probably. But in terms of rolling through a schedule uh, and thoroughly dominating teams that you should be better than, Georgia does that at a level no one else in the country is doing right now. Uh, mm-hmm. And they've done it last season, and it looks like they're on pace to do it this season, obviously, based on what they did to Oregon. Um, yeah, what? how much of this Bama game did you see, and what did you think about it? It's another one i got to do. i got to watch the highlights on. Because, um, as I said, I was coming back from camping. I didn't really have reception. It was tough to get a look on it i mean honestly <laughs> from what i understand though texas really played with them um they were able to actually stop like the two-headed monster will anderson and dallas turner for alabama and i mean mm-hmm. if texas can do it that probably means some teams in the sec can do it so that the, like you said it's something to watch for sure uh one team in the sec that i won't bank on doing it is texas a&m <laughs> oh my god uh, losing 14 to 17 at home to App State, uh, I was home in time to catch pretty much all of that one. And oh man, um, App State just looked like the better team. Man, A and M could not do anything. Uh, elsewhere, I we all you already mentioned the Marshall game. That was a good one. Um, Kentucky and Florida, I thought was a really telling game. Obviously, the um, the most the Pac-12s, whatever. I, I don't need to put caveats on it. Like. Utah loses to Florida in week one. Florida loses to Kentucky in week two. Transitive wins are a tough thing to to go by, but um, I think based on what we've seen from both these teams now, I think it's safe to say that, like, yes, Utah is the better team, and Florida not ready to compete on a national level yet, um, though they will have some plucky SEC results, I'm sure. Um, I mean, when you lose to a team like Kentucky at home, not to say Kentucky are bad or anything. I think they're actually quite good. To me, that kind of separates like the really good from the decent in yeah. the SEC. Uh, is that Kentucky watermark? Uh, anything else that stood out to you? Maybe a little Tennessee Pit. I don't know how much of that you caught. That was a great game. 
Yeah, that, um, that, that wasn't making too many of my screens, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, I will. I have fair. to have to shout out Tulane with a fifty-two nothing win over Alcorn State Ooh. this weekend. Nicely off, done. Off to a two and zero start, combined uh, eighty-four point margin of victory in the first two games, Ooh. and Damn. traveling to Kansas State next week. So maybe oh, maybe that game. will make That's a screen great. for me. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Fighting to be bowling, uh, you know. Nine AM ten time slot. <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Um All right, man. Yeah, I'm not really seeing anything else I need I really care to discuss right now. Um we could always go over a couple more results on the midweek show. Um but safe to say I don't think we'll need to do a lot of soul searching after Eastern Washington. We can kinda go all in on on previewing BYU on that next one so um any final thoughts before we depart oh shit dude you know we forgot players of the game okay (laughs) one literally the only words that were on our on our outline today (laughs) oh my god okay offensive player of the game you want to start or you want me to start uh I'll start uh I'll take Bo Nix off the board I guess if you want to give it to a skill guy Troy Franklin yeah, uh, I don't need to explain why. <laughs> Troy Franklin and and Terrence Ferguson would have been my two. Um, Troy Franklin talked about it the whole time, you know, leading him, leading the wide receiver room as that go to guy, and then we saw the two highlight touchdowns from Ferguson. Both were awesome. Um, so pretty easy picks for me. Uh, on defense. It's funny, I was looking at the the final stats for this game, and I know total tackles can be a completely misleading stat at times. Um, and from what I understand, the record-keeping on tackles is not, not a precise science, but um, I don't think a single duck had more than, like, three total tackles in, on defense in this game, which was super surprising to me. Um, but I will say they did get two sacks for once. Uh, and one of them, I believe, was DJ Johnson. The other one was uh, Cab- Keith Brown uh, Keith late Brown, in the game. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I'll let you choose first on this one. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely hard. Um, honestly, it was just a weird performance. No one on the defense got more than 33 snaps in the game. Um, guys like... Uh, uh, Justin Flo got 14. Noah Sewell got 20 only. Um, so that's a pretty weird game. I mean, that's just not many snaps to go off of. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'll go with... I think DJ Johnson getting that sack was good, and, and he looked solid. Um, maybe that's a shout. Brian Addison had a really good grade in coverage when he came in. Uh, and that's a guy who we heard about in fall camp. So those two, but uh, honestly, the, on the defensive side, I don't have anyone that's really popping off uh, from my memory of this game. Uh, I'll take I'll take Quez actually. I'll take Trey Quez Bridges. Uh, he had a rough week last week, so I guess the bounce back factor is pretty big there. Obviously, got essentially the equivalent of a pick six. Um, Gonzalez had the other interception, but that that wasn't anything super difficult. So um, I'll, I'll give it to Quez, I guess. But yeah, as as we're realizing, there weren't a lot of huge performances on defense. So 
maybe that's something to keep an eye out for uh, come next week is who steps up and makes big plays in crucial moments. Um, so, yeah, man. All right, good shout. Uh, solid episode. And we will be back on Tuesday to preview the BYU game. Yes, sir. Go Ducks. All right, go Ducks.